Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football is back, and so is winning season at MyBookie. Use promo code GATERS on the deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Gators Breakdown is proud to partner with AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Gators. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by BetterHelp. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Gators and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Gators. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on social media at Gator Dave underscore SEC. Here we are, Monday night, Labor Day night. Will Miles, we're still laboring right here on Labor Day night. Uh, of course we can't. Uh, we got to get together right, uh, right here. Wish it was under better circumstances and a Gator win, but it's not. And unfortunately, the 24-11 loss to Utah is first time Will and I get together in front of you guys. The Gator breakdown following out there. So, of course, Will Miles right here joining me from Read and Reaction. You can follow him out there at Will Miles SEC. Well, I don't know. Uh, I guess gut punch it was that's what I described it with the other day and all the excitement of game one and a big game and national spotlight and man, of course, everybody knows, of course, Will and I have talked the last four days uh, about this, but uh, man, it was, it was hurting and uh, it's still hurting and got to hear from Billy Napier today and uh, the kind of theme of this episode will be you know, the, the, the lessons learned or hopefully lessons learned that the Gators will kind of work their way through as McNeese this week and then the big game versus Tennessee after that. Yeah, I mean, an opportunity to lick wounds this week, right? And that's, that's I think, what we're all looking for. And the good news is, is that there's a a break on the horizon here and and maybe some things can get fixed that weren't fixed with a uh, with a good opening opponent. Uh, but obviously when you lose to a team, even when it's on the road, even when it's a top 15 opponent, when they have their third string quarterback in, when they're missing key cogs on the offense and defense like they were with Keithy and, and some of the guys that they were missing on the defensive side of the ball, it's disappointing. And I've said this repeatedly throughout the weekend that it, it, it isn't that Florida lost that's disturbing. It's the way 
in which they lost, right? LSU lost last night. I still felt like they put up a pretty good fight, at least in the first half against Florida State. And if Florida State ends up being a top 10 team at the end of the year, that's not a terrible loss for LSU, even though they got run over there in the third and fourth quarter. I think even if that was the way Florida had lost the game to Utah, where you just go, Utah is clearly a better team. Florida's got some work to do from a talent perspective. Hey, there's some things schematically maybe they can do better. That's fine. But to screw up having a number of guys on the field with the number three, to screw up all the third and one false starts, to to have shanked punts, to have special teams not be any better, to screw up timeouts when you could be taking them from the sideline, multiple, multiple sacks, no pressure from Austin Armstrong's defense, all those sorts of things all sort of congeal together to be something where we're like, ugh, like that that was a performance that does not exactly lend confidence to the process that Billy Napier's been talking about for the last couple of years. So, you know, look, it's the first game. There's still a lot to be proven throughout the course of the year, but, um, you know, they didn't really take any steps towards proving anything in that game against Utah. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to lick some wounds, come back out here against McNeese. And even that one's not going to not going to solve any of these wounds. Right. right? They're going to come out and play well against Tennessee. And I'm not even sure a win or I'm not even sure a, a competitive loss against Tennessee makes everything better at this point. I think you got to go out and start winning some games. And, uh, you know, that's going to have to start in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so Billy Napier, we'll hear from him. That'll kind of be our template uh, throughout this episode. He did speak to the media uh, for the first time as he's gotten to review the film and the tape from the last uh, last few days there. So we'll kind of go through. Uh, you know, has, he's kind of saying, you know, lessons learned, need, need to move forward uh, right here with, with some of the lessons. So he does go into uh, you know what what they've uh, established uh, as issues and everything that happened Thursday night and it's a little bit a better explanation uh, of how those things happen. Yeah. The things on special teams, uh, the offensive line uh, as well. We'll get into that right here on this episode of Gators breakdown. Everybody hit that like button. I know you probably won't like the tone (laughs) of a lot of this, but uh, here we are right here, giving you another episode of Gators breakdown, like subscribe. If you haven't done so yet, also out there on your favorite podcast platform, Uh, Gators breakdown plus, uh, of course, very active on that uh, Discord server the last few days, uh, going back and forth with each other, uh, all those extra episodes, ad-free episodes as well. Uh, and then GatorsBreakdown.com, of course, real nice piece up there by Seth Varnador looking at the Gator offense and maybe how they, how they could have helped the running game, also help alleviate the, the, the stacked box Utah was throwing at Florida. Uh, so maybe some adjustments maybe Florida can use uh, more of, of what we saw in the Utah game to help uh, this offense come about. So Seth, uh, really good work there. Also, his full breakdown uh, on his is on his channel, Seth uh, Varnador Films uh, on YouTube. If you want to get a really deep dive uh, and from kind of a coaching perspective of uh, what went right, what went wrong versus Utah. So, all right, well, let's get to it, and we'll hear and start with uh, Billy Napier on, on where Florida goes after the loss to Utah. I think the key to the drill here is that we don't waste this experience. Um, And I think just having met with a leadership group, I think we're in great position to do that. We can't waste a minute blaming or complaining or sulking or um, thinking about the past. We have to learn. We have to change. We have to adapt. And we have to grow. And you really got to get consumed with your process, right? All parts of the organization – um, what can I do that can affect the outcome uh, and get really good at my job? And essentially just do your job, right? Take responsibility, uh, take ownership. And certainly that starts with me. 
There he goes, Will. Starting uh, pretty, you know, point at, hey, it starts with him. Uh, and I think a lot, a lot of the fan base is throwing it that way, too, especially uh, kind of going to your point there of the issues that we saw uh, there, uh, there versus Utah. And look, we're, we're going to learn a lot about the direction and, and the process moving forward, I think. And um, deeper than wins and losses a little bit, too, it will ultimately come down to that. But uh, we need to see a team that looks good uh, out there at the same time. Certainly a chance this week, as you mentioned, Will, to, to get right given the opponents. Uh, and Florida you know, should be able to, to concentrate on Florida uh, this weekend. Well, that's probably where I go, you know, having to go back a little bit and address these simple things uh, in, in football to avoid the simple mistakes uh, instead of kind of completely moving forward. Look, there, there's always self-evaluation and, and self-improvement that happens with a football team, but you'd like to be able to use these next couple of weeks more about getting ready for Tennessee. But now Florida's got to go back to the drawing board a little bit and make sure these simple mistakes, these simple issues don't happen again. Uh, so you, you know, kind of go through those reps and, and practice those reps instead of completely turning the page to Tennessee a bit. But, you know, th- this team can't afford uh, all the mistakes that we saw versus Utah. So those mistakes definitely Florida, – Florida doesn't need to beat Florida. And Billy Napier did, did say that. So have to learn, have to change, have to adapt, have to uh, – Grow, he said, and uh, didn't do a, a good job of controlling the things they can control. Uh, the penalties, continued red zone issues, special team issues, protection issues. A lot of those things, Will, you know, especially penalties, caught Billy Napier by surprise. I was surprised by that, to be quite honest. You know, we had played pretty clean football. Scrimmages, practice setting. Uh, we'd done quite a bit of significant crowd noise work, you know, uh, so those were surprising. I mean, I, I really felt confident our team was ready to play. Surprising, Will, as he says. Look, we didn't expect we didn't expect this team to have no issues going on a road on, on a hard place to play. But I think it was the number of issues and the number of continued issues uh, that, that that really stand out here. Uh, and look, you and I were talking, and we traded some insider notes right there on game day, and. We got to know, you know, th- there was a lot of confidence riding in- with this team and going to Utah, and they felt pretty comfortable about where they were at heading into this game. Uh, and look, I take Billy April for his word based off of everything I was hearing on Thursday. I think he really was surprised at the performance and, you know, kind of the lapse of, uh, you know, mental errors that was happening there in Utah. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to separate the two sets of mistakes, right? So there's the, did you jump off sides third and one? Those are typically aggression type mistakes and things that, yeah, they're mental mistakes and yeah, they can't happen, but that's the type of thing you're going to get on the road versus the things like not having the right number of guys on the line of scrimmage. Those are a completely different set of mistakes. Like that's a mistake that you don't need to be able to hear the snap count to do that right. You don't need to, you shouldn't have to have your teammate tell you that it's there. Now look, Kevin O'Sullivan couldn't count to six this year and wore a t-shirt that sort of celebrated that fact. So maybe <laughs> we'll get one that says, you know, I can count to seven and and hand that out to some of the guys who are playing wide receiver. But you know, you can't do that. That is a high school level mistake. And if you're making that sort of mistake, I honestly, I don't believe that everything was clean during the weeks in the scrimmages coming up. I just don't believe it because nothing was clean in this game against Utah. And it's not like one thing went bad. And then all of a sudden, like things fell apart on the field for like, oh, there was a fumble and everybody lowered their head or there was an interception. Everybody lowered their head. I mean, they were in the game until until that touchdown after the interception to Pearsall. They had an opportunity there. And the things that that got me are the guys who had experience were making making some of those mistakes. There were 12 minutes left and there was a free play where Utah jumped off off sides and Mertz didn't throw the ball downfield. You have a chance to convert a big time play 
an interception doesn't hurt you there because the ball, it just ends up being a five yard penalty. And instead you run the ball out of bounds and never take a shot. Like those sorts of things are mental mistakes that quite honestly, a true freshman shouldn't be making. And now you're making those out on the field. And so again, to me, it's not a matter of like, did you make the right reads and did you execute things correctly? And those are things that I look back on and say, Hey, we need to sharpen the pencil on some of these things. And I'd be okay with that, but just lining up correctly. And it's not like they had some big exotic <laughs> package where they were lining up. They were giving the ball to the running back and telling him, go get a yard. And the wide receivers are out in, in, you know, you got trips on one side and they don't have enough guys up on the line of scrimmage. I don't know how you fix that. Right. I mean, I, I don't know how you get to a point where if you haven't repped it by the time game one comes around, that 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 is going to fix itself over the course of the year. And we had those same problems last year in a few of the games where Florida wasn't lined up properly. So whatever's being done in preparation, whatever they're saying in terms of things being clean, like they're not practicing all of the things that need to be clean because those are killers. Like your third and one, second and one, you're handing the ball to Montreal Johnson. He runs 17 yards around the around the end, and all of a sudden now it's being come. It's coming back not because of a physical error, like a holding penalty where a guy was out of position, but just because you didn't line up properly. And you know, there's a reason why those rules are in place. You got to have seven guys in the line of scrimmage, four guys in the backfield. You see the wide receivers all the time, sort of holding out their arm, like. Mm-hmm. You know, verifying that you've got enough guys on the line of scrimmage. And the fact that that mistake was made twice in this game just says to me that that whatever was going on in the scrimmage wasn't pointing towards the things that were critical to doing this one. Now, maybe they just thought, well, our guys know how to line up properly, and now they have to go back and teach them that. But, you know, one, that assumption you should have found out during camp and during scrimmages. And two, if you're t- teaching people how to line up correctly, you're sure as heck not teaching them the nuances of how to run a route, how to set a block, how to how to make a tackle, those sorts of things. And so that's where the concern really starts to creep in after this game. Again, it's not that they lost the game. It's that the things that need to be taught are things that needed to be taught in April. Not not in September. And until until we see on the field that those things have all been ironed out, it feels like there's a really long way to go to have a team that's going to really look competent out there against a decent opponent. Yeah, I, I remember going through so many Gators Breakdown Plus chats, and a lot of it was talking about the receiver group specifically, uh, but this was kind of all-encompassing, I guess, you know, with how young this team is and all the faces. I, I warned myself that this could happen. And I didn't, I didn't think it would. You know, everything we've heard about Napier and the meticulous detail and you know, a stone, no stone unturned. Where I was like, okay, well, if it is an issue, it will be, it, it will be addressed. And yeah, Thursday night, it, it, it did not look like that. But I warned myself uh, that that it could happen, and it did happen. But I just didn't think it would uh, happen. But maybe I should listen to myself a little bit more there. That that, that could have been an issue. But even even then, even then, I still did not like uh, see, see, seeing uh, what was going there. So hey, that's something else about this week. Will you're you're back at home? I'm sure that's going to take care of some of it. You're back in your friendly confines in the swamp. Uh, you have an easier opponent there. Maybe it does give you a chance to, to, to work on those things. It gives you a whole lot of chance to work on those things. I mean, McNeese is not the type of opponent really Florida has to game plan for. you got two weeks now to worry about yourself and Tennessee now. I just wish it was more about, all right, let's, 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 let's rally the troops and get ready for Tennessee. But, yeah, uh, kind of going to your point and kind of extending my original point there. Do have to go back to the drawing board with some aspects here and make sure that Florida's taking care of Florida. 
Yeah, now I think the good thing is is that a lot of people anticipated Florida being zero and one at this point, and whether you lose twenty four to eleven or yeah. sixty five to three or yeah. or you know seventeen to sixteen doesn't matter. You're still zero and one, right? And so there's an opportunity here to turn the narrative around moving forward. The problem is is that the narrative it has to do with discipline, and the narrative has to do with a with a team that looked unprepared, and that's the thing that really starts to start to starts to stick in people's craw when they look at this team's specifically. So if you come out again against a big time opponent and look unprepared, it's only going to build on that narrative and perception matters. It really does. And Billy Napier this year, this season is not selling elite football. He's selling hope. Like that is what he is selling to the fan base, to the boosters, to the recruits, to everybody is he's selling hope. And that's the thing. And the hope has been that the process and the discipline and the dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. Yeah. Year one, there were some malcontents. They needed to weed out the guys who, who were, who were causing problems from the Mullen era. And, you know, Hey, he's turned, he's do, doing his way different than Dan Mullen. He's bringing in all these young guys and by bringing in these young guys, he's getting rid of some of those things that that people have talked about in terms of attitude, in terms of not buying in, and all that sort of stuff. And then you go out and see the exact same stuff you saw last year, and yeah, it makes you wonder. I mean, that that's just the reality. Now, again, is that something that can turn around pretty quick? Cool, but you know, I mean, look, you had Princely Human Meal and what Instagram or tweeting or whatever he did before mm-hmm. about the size of the stadium and that sort of stuff. And then you go out there and get zero sacks and have zero impact on the game, right? Like if you're going to talk big. You got to go out there and actually do it. And that is the thing, right? Is that there was a lot of chirping and not a lot of, not a lot of action. And honestly, that's sort of what I get out of these press conferences and everything leading up to it. Like talking season ends September 1st. And at some point you got to see something out on the field. And until I see, until I see something out on the field, like I have a hard time defending what we saw on Thursday night. Like, and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to say, look, you need to give the guy time. I'm not calling for anybody to be fired or anything like that. Exactly. There, but- there, there is an in-between there. You know, disagreeing <laughs> is not zero sum. And, you know, the, the supporting is not a 100 sum. There, there, there is a... There is a middle ground here. <laughs> well, and look, in my article, I had a section called Billy Taggart because I saw that Taggart was trending afterwards. And it's hard as a Florida fan, but I look at it and I go, they may not be wrong. They may not be wrong. Like, I can't look at what I saw out on the field on Thursday and say that's materially different than having your wide receiver line up in the wrong direction. Like, it is because that's really ridiculous. But again, in terms of like having two guys on the field with the same damn number, I've never seen that before. I didn't even know what the penalty like. I knew that that was a penalty, but I didn't know how many yards it was. I didn't know whether it was enforced like before the kick or after. (laughs) I didn't even know the rule. And it's like, I've been watching football my whole life and I don't know how that exists. So the fact that something like that would happen and that something like that is so goofy. And then even after the game, there was a bunch of stuff going around about the field goal attempt that Utah had Mm. when they were up by 13, where there weren't enough Gators on the field. And there really weren't even close to enough Gators on the field (laughs) from some of the screenshots. Um, You know, those sorts of things just do not breed confidence when what you're trying to sell is hope. And so um, they're going to have to do some work to regain some of the trust that they've lost. Because I think walking into this game, a close, hard-fought loss builds trust with the fan base. But But a loss where you just look lethargic and incompetent out there you know, uses up some of that trust that's in the bank. Yeah. And you're going to have to, you're going to have to make some real deposits over the next few weeks in order to get the balance back up above red. Cause right now we're sitting there in, in the red wondering what's coming next. 
All right, well, I want to go to something that you brought up in your article at Read Reaction in your postgame. Uh, and Billy Napier, and of course, you know, Florida had five sacks and automatically, or Florida gave up five sacks, and automatically the the binoculars go on the offensive line. And look, they, you know, they, they didn't play a good game. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to defend it, but Will did a pretty good job of pointing it out. And we saw it in the, in the, in the game as well. And Florida gives up five sacks, not all five are, are on the offensive line. We saw ETN miss a block uh, there. And then Billy Napier also goes into detail of, Hey, look, these, there, there's a lot of things that go into uh, the protection issues along the offensive line. I think everybody likes to talk about the offensive line. Okay. When it comes to protection uh, and maybe inefficient runs, but all position groups contribute to both. Okay. Uh, and I've said this publicly many times when you rush the ball effectively, it's not just the offensive line. You know, I mean, I think we've got to play well on the edges. We've got to have precision in footwork and eye discipline at running back. The quarterback's got to make the right decision in terms of distributing the ball. Um, and then the same could be said for protection. Uh, we had other position groups that caused problems in protection in a game. It's not always just the offensive line. I think we're quick to point the finger at the quarterback. We're quick to point the finger uh, at the offensive line. Uh, but I think all positions contribute. Sometimes it's a receiver, right? Maybe the receiver uh, doesn't run the route with precision and the quarterback has to hold the ball, right? I think there's a number of things that contribute to protection issues. So the lesson here is that there's no one single individual to blame here other than me, okay? Um, and I think ultimately the buck stops here. Uh, we're going to go fix it. That's what I would tell you. Well, a second soundbite right there, Billy Napier pointing at himself and, and, and taking a lot of the blame. Uh, but yeah, I mean he's right, uh, and you did a really good job of in, you know in illustrating that uh, in your article that hey look it wasn't just the offensive line for as bad as they played you know not every 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 hit on the quarterback not every run that didn't gain yardage was on the offensive line. No, I mean they, there were times where they had tight ends who were lined up one on one against defensive ends. That scheme. There were times that there was a free rusher that Mertz needed to know was coming, and he didn't, and he got and he got um, you know he got sacked. There was one time where I felt like Slaughter did a nice job as a center getting the defensive tackle off off kilter, and the defensive tackle just made an otherworldly move to spin back, and all of a sudden he's right in Mertz's face, and you're just sitting there going, "You got to tip your cap at that guy. He just made a he just made an individual play." But there were also times. I mean, there's one specifically where um, where Utah ran a stunt and a pretty simple stunt. And the I think the left tackle and the left guard were supposed to pass their guys off, and instead one twitched and one didn't. And all of a sudden you've got Slaughter sort of lurching back trying to get a hold of him, and instead he ends up hitting the quarterback. And all of those things are sort of a confluence to create um, what Napier's talking about. And I think the the fact that he's going back to do your job is a big part of what they're going to have to do moving forward. You got to trust that the running back's going to do what he needs to do. You got to trust the tight end's going to do what he needs to do. You got to trust the coaches are going to put people in the right position to be able to succeed the problem is is that when you have each individual sack like if it was just the left tackle 
who was a problem, then you might be able to fix it. But if the left tackle is a problem one play, then the right guard is a problem on the next play, then the running back is a problem on the next play, then the coach's scheme is the wrong is is, is the problem on the next play. How do you fix that? Because everyone is doing something different and not doing their job on every single play. And it's tough for me to see that you're going to get some massive uptick in play. Now, obviously, Egwa can come back. If he can come back quickly, will be a big deal for the offensive line. Um, I suspect that just getting the jitters out for some of the freshmen who may have made mistakes also going to be a big boon for them. And then the fact that they're not going to be facing Utah this next week <laughs> will also be a boon for them as well. But, you know, look, I'm glad Napier's taking on all the responsibility. But And this was sort of the way I finished the article is we've heard a lot of talk. And we're six and eight in, in the Napier area era. At some point, that talk's going to have to turn into performance. It's going to have to turn into wins. And until we see that again, it goes back to the deposit concept I said earlier. Like, you know, you deposit money in the bank so that when you need to make a withdrawal, you're not in desperation. And there haven't been enough deposits thus far on the field for us to walk out of there. Like I, the Tennessee game last year, I loved. Like they lost that game. But right. I walked out of there going, Napier made all the right decisions on fourth down. I love that he went for two points, even though they were down by five at the end, and you could get criticized by that. I love that he was aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. I love the fact that you know he sort of unleashed Anthony Richardson in that game, that they went in on the road and had the attitude that they were going to go in and they were going to go for everything that they possibly could. And I didn't feel any of that against Utah. I, I didn't feel it at all in terms of the aggression, in terms of the the sort of hey, we're going to go for it. I mean, where were the throws downfield? If you're if you're if your team is getting crowded at the line of scrimmage, you got to loosen it up, yep. or you got to just say man up and we're going to beat it and we're going to run the ball. Yeah. And they didn't they didn't do either. It was like little seven yard outs, and then it was hey, it's it's second and two, and we're going to chuck one deep instead of handing the ball off to ETN. I went back and looked. There was one drive where uh, where ETN got two straight carries, and I think he got like eight yards and like four yards and a first down, and they didn't give the ball to him again for like a quarter. And I'm sitting there going, I will. Okay, I to do. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought it. I was going to wait till later to bring it up, but I, I got it right here. You brought up run game. Let's get Billy Napier's thoughts on it. I, I don't have, I didn't have time limit, you know, to use the actual soundbite, but I will read through question and answer as far as run game goes. Uh, Billy Napier was asked, the number of touches for your two running backs seems pretty low. Some of that is dictated by the score. Is that acceptable moving forward for those guys to touch the ball as little as they did? Napier says, great question. I think ultimately for me, looking back at it, that's something we could have been a little more committed to. You have Johnson. You have ETN. That is your identity as a head coach anyway. And it happened at times last year, too. I just didn't think, you know, this is this team's M.O., this staff's M.O. Look, we all want to be able to throw the ball 40 times and win the game. I've illustrated it the last couple of days. That does not happen under Billy Napier, at least right now. Can he recruit that way and eventually get that way? Maybe at some point. This team is not built that way right now. Uh, and then I think, agree, I think we all kind of thought it maybe Thursday night. He's coming out and saying it, too. Thought they could have been more committed to the run game. Uh, to continue that, he goes, there's no doubt about it. But all of a sudden, it's 17-3, 24-3. That affects the approach you take. Yeah, absolutely. Third, fourth quarter, at that point, yeah, you're kind of stuck. You have to throw the ball. Uh, I do think Utah has something to do with that as well. I think we were 3.1 in carry on called runs. When we do run it, we got it four, five, six range. They got us on the ground, right? They tackled much better. Ultimately, that contributed to that as well. 
Uh, but it's a really good point. So then that goes on to say, identity-wise, do you still see yourself as a run-first, power-run team? Is that what you want to do? Napier, I think our history is pretty well documented. <laughs> so, then why don't you stick to it? Uh, that, I, mean, I, I know what numbers say, but at times, Utah did the dictating on both sides, and especially on defense. Yes, there's one more guy in the box. Okay, well, that means they're baiting you. They, they want you to pass the ball. Um, and that's just kind of something we struggled with last year, kind of reared its head again this year. He goes, we've been able to rush the ball effectively in the past. We didn't do it on Saturday. I think that ultimately balance is required to win this game. In my opinion, if you want to have a good team, I think there's some weeks where you got to rush it effectively. There's some weeks where you got to pass it effectively. Situations call for both in this game. I think if you're going to be really good, there's times you got to rush the ball. There's short yardage, red zone, goal line, four minute. Then you have to pass it third and long, two-minute situations. you got to build your team where you've got balance and you're capable of both. But I think just from a demeanor standpoint, I think we definitely want to be more committed to the run game. Great. Yep. It's a lot of talk. <laughs> I didn't see anything happen on the field that tells me that that's actually going to happen. And, and that, to me, is the fundamental disconnect right now, is what you say in the press conference is going to have to translate out on the field. Because I look back at it, it was 7-3 to three Utah. Treyon Webb runs for three yards. Mertz, two throws in a row. They get a first down. Montrell Johnson runs for three yards. Mertz, <laughs> passing complete, delay a game. Mertz runs for 11 yards, so that was a pass play, and then they get the full start on on fourth and one. And so then the next drive, I believe it was the next drive, five plays, ETN runs for four yards, ETN runs for eight yards. The only time I can remember running the ball back-to-back the entire night. And immediately they take a deep shot by Mertz, and then Mertz is sacked. There was never any going back to the well. There was never give the guy a chance to pop one. And you know, you and I talked on our over under show last week that ETN is the guy who makes people miss. He's the guy who has special qualities out there. And it felt like they had. I mean, it it felt like Montreal Johnson did something to Napier's dog or something in the first half. I mean, one carry for three yards in the first half. And the other thing is, is if you're worried about the pressure and you're worried about them stacking the box and you're worried about them coming after you, you know what they did once and they didn't go back to it was they threw a screen pass to Montreal Johnson. And the screen pass went for like 17 or 18 yards. Twice. Eh, Well, okay. So twice. But irrespective, they didn't go back to it, and it wasn't near as successful the second time they did it. But if if the other team is bringing a bunch of guys, then you got to slow them down somehow. Draws, screens, you know, or just go deep. Because if you can pick it up and you just loft it up there, you can start going deep down the sideline. You got to find some way to make them not do it. And they didn't. I'm not looking at that offense saying they did a bunch of things to try to stop the pass rush, to try to to try to get those linebackers and especially the safeties to play back so that they could then run the ball. I mean, look, you you want to be able to take shots when there's guys um, when there's guys deep, but you or when when they're bringing up safeties, you want to be able to take shots. But they didn't necessarily take those shots. They didn't do a lot of the things that you would expect them to do in those cases. They didn't loosen up the defense to then be able to come back to the run. And if you're going to say, "Hey, look, they weren't the defense dictates to us what we're going to do," then you don't have an identity, right? Because mm-hmm. if there's eight men in a box late in a game. You, this team specifically, the way this team is built, they want to be able to salt the game away, right? They yeah. want to be able to take an 80-yard drive and make it take seven minutes and just completely salt the game away. And so you have to be able to run against the box at that Thank point. Thank you. Thank and you. If, 
And if that's your strength, give it to him. But there, there was no commitment to putting the ball in Etienne and Johnson's hands and letting them go. And and I think especially early on, they gave the ball to Webb to sort of give him a carry. But that's a wasted carry from the standpoint of you weren't giving it to your real playmakers enough to begin with. So maybe your pregame plan was to rotate Webb in at a certain point and do all those sorts of things. But why there? Like, get the ball to Montreal Johnson, get the ball to Trevor Etienne. It's funny. Nick Knudsen on, on our show, Stand Up and Holler, always just says, feed two, feed seven. That's the only text I get from him like throughout the entire <laughs> game. But he has to do it every two games. And he has to sit there and go, feed two, feed seven, feed two, feed seven, every couple of games. And for some reason, we just forget that that's what we want to do. That's what our identity is. That's who we are. And that's how we're going to win ball games, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And I mean, look, 11 points, man. Like that's rough to have to only put up 11 points and to have not tried to take advantage of the thing that is supposed to be your identity. I mean, if they scored 30 points and lost, I'd be like, all right, like they got away from what they do, but they were effective. This is like, it's not like they were being effective through the air. No. Like, and, and it's not like the game was really that out of hand. And then when they decided to throw the ball with like seven minutes left, they ran five minutes off the clock to where <laughs> actually, I think they took over with like five fifty left. But by the time they, by the time they got down the red zone, the game was over because they wouldn't, weren't going to have time to get the ball back and score another touchdown. Certainly not the way they were moving it down the field. If you're going to do that, just run the damn ball. So I don't know. I, the whole game didn't make a whole lot of sense. There wasn't something where I looked in the, third quarter and went oh we found something now we can build on that it was uh that i would have i would have killed for something in the third quarter that i could have latched on to and said we can build on that maybe on the defensive side of the ball we'll talk about that in a little bit i'm sure but uh um it was a rough one buddy yeah um seth you know seth barnador as i mentioned at gettersbreakdown.com does do a good job kind of going to will's point there of what florida could have done with those stacked boxes uh, there was a little bit, but not enough of those plays to take advantage uh, of the stack boxes that Utah was bringing. So Seth does a really good job there uh, that uh, you guys can uh, you know, go see those things uh, that maybe make this Florida offense uh, j- would have played just a little bit better. Maybe some of those things that we see uh, moving forward uh, for the skaters offense. So uh, plenty more to get into on this episode of Gators Breakdown. But hey, look, let's get into it. NFL starts this week, and I, got, I know you guys are itching. Itching, itching, itching to get that betting started. So as a better, you demand perfection. And my bookie delivers NFL, college football, and a brand new cash out system gives you best options to bet and win all season long. For two legs of your parlay hit, well then cash out early, use the funds on another bet, or let it ride for a chance at a bigger payday. Join the my bookie family for an entire season filled with odds boost, free bets, and super contest this season. Has my bookie a no strings attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick? Use promo code Gators on a deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your my bookie account. Bet your deposit amount once, and you're ready to cash out at any time. Again, that's promo code Gators to claim your cash deposit bonus. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. Gators Breakdown is proud to partner with AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. With 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, AG1 is formulated to support whole body health, raising the standard for quality in the supplement category. It replaces your multivitamin, your probiotic, and more in one simple, daily, drinkable habit. 
I start my day with AG1 now, and after pairing it with exercise and diet, I'm ready to tackle these busy days of covering the Gators football season, and all my focus is at peak performance. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1. Get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash gators. That's drinkag1.com slash gators. Go check out AG1. And Gators Breakdown is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you find that you just, you know, as you're trying to fall asleep, your brain suddenly won't stop talking? Do your thoughts start racing right before bed or at other inopportune moments? Well, it turns out one great way to make those thoughts go away is talk them through. Therapy gives you a place to do that so you can get out of your negative thought cycles and find some mental and emotional peace. Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself, something most of us are trying to achieve. I've seen it help friends and family, and now there's an easy way to get help. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited for your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Gators today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Gators. All right, Will, uh, well, do we have to talk special teams? Do we, do, 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 do we have to? Uh, that was probably, of course, I still think you brought it up earlier, watching the game, talking to Gator Nation throughout the last few days, probably – Still, the biggest issue that has uh, that, that that's still talked about. I mean, it's one more issue that came over from last season. Um, and Napier went into detail about the mix up of Jason Marshall and Trey Wilson out on the field at, at, at the same time. And uh, I mean, it goes into detail. He, he explains uh, everything that went on uh, and you know that kind of crazy penalty there for the Gators that ended up really costing them. We had a really, really unique situation in the game, you know, that required us to have three personnel groups ready to go. Uh, and ultimately, you know, we've got uh, third down grouping on defense on the field. We have a rush team because we're in the tweener area between kicker on, field goal, uh, team out, uh, or their punter runs on the field, right? So there's that was one that I think uh, we'll be working in the future that caused some issues. Um, and look, um, we had some miscues in the game. You know, there's no doubt we missed the field goal. We shank a punt. Uh, we had the penalty, you know, from a personnel standpoint. Uh, but I do think we did some good things in the game as well, right? But the things that have nothing to do with the opponent are the things that we need to correct. Yeah, one more time, things that don't necessarily do with the opponent there. We, we need to correct, but... Well, he was went on to be asked, you know, the sloppiness of communication on special teams, and I know everybody has been wondering about, you know, how Florida breaks up their coaching for special teams. He goes, "Does that make you rethink the process? Not have one coach dedicated to that?" And Napier went on to explain that situation. It was a very specific error. It has nothing to do with what we do year round. It was a very specific mistake within the game. It has nothing to do with the infrastructure or job description or assignments. It's just one very specific mistake, one that we will learn from going forward, much like we do every week. We make mistakes. We adjust and adapt. So I think it uncovered something that's a challenging situation 
one that we will work on in the future. Okay. Well, I, I mean, that's one I guess you would, would love to be proactive on and not necessarily reactive, but here we are. Uh, but, well, I mean, as I said, it's something that's carried over that, and kind of going to your point and why there's a lot of frustration now is simple issues, and it's the issues we saw last year moving forward to this year in game one, special teams being one of them. Struggle kicking field goals last year. Still got the same contributors there. There was, you know, there's a transfer portal out there. I think Florida struggled kicking field goals last year. Nothing was really done to address that issue. Went one for two versus Utah. Um, punt returners making bad field decisions. Some of those you can live with, with, you know, Trey Wilson, Eugene Wilson growing in that role. Uh, there's going to be growing pains, but you know, they can't be compounded with the other avoidable issues. I mean, if you're going to take that chance and have a true freshman, okay, we know that. There's going to be bumps there. The other bumps that you've been facing have to be fixed at the time. Uh, quote, you know, we all have parts of our staff contributing to special teams. This is how Billy Napier explains how it's broken out. This was back in the spring, I believe, uh, when he or, or last fall. But this is the explanation that this is how it's broken out of coaching special teams at Florida. We have all parts of our staff contributing to special teams. We've got two coverage units. We've got two return units. We've got the two PAT field goal rush units. Each coach is assigned to one of those that needs a point person. Chris Couch provides the leadership there, the organizational part of that. We game plan together. So, you know, maybe one of these learning and adapting aspects for Napier is to, you know, make changes on how special teams can come together better because, Will, it's not a strength at Florida. The margin is the margin for error is so small with this team already that the avoidable mistakes and the ones that we continue to see here are really detrimental to the team. I mean, as I'm listening to Napier there, and this is his big problem, I think, out of all this, it's not what's going on in the special teams. It's not what's going on in any of the units. It's that all I can think of is the gif with Ron Burgundy where he's going, I don't believe you. Like, <laughs> like that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't believe that's some unique situation that no no coach has ever come up against and that they didn't know whether they were going to send out the punt unit or whether they're going to send out a fourth down unit and and you know that that no one has ever dealt with that situation before in the history of football and we never rep that and how could we possibly have done now the right answer there is we screwed that one up that's on me that's never going to happen again that's unacceptable to university of florida and you can bet it's going to be fixed and you say it that way and everybody goes okay that's fine but to sit there and try to snow me over by telling me that's some unique situation that's never been that, that you know you wouldn't have repped and you wouldn't have prepared for well i mean you came here on the on the back of everything being your mr preparation <laughs> that you prepare for all these things and that those sorts of things are are um you know the, the like that's your value proposition like billy napier's value proposition position coming to Florida was that he was going to be prepared for all of these things. And that was going to include recruiting. That was going to include on-field prep. That was going to include his record in one-score games. Very good at Louisiana. And that was going to include having guys out there who knew what they were going to do and pulling them off the field if they were chucking a shoe somewhere. And I mean, honestly, like I had somebody text me after the game and it's just like we have some of the weirdest stuff happen to us in games recently. I mean, you got the shoe throw, you got the same number on the field, like you got all that sort of stuff. And how is this any different than the shoe throw where you're sitting there going, the problem wasn't the throw, though I think it was kind of a symptom. The problem was is that the very next play, the player who threw the shoe was still on the field. And so what are we going to see? What are we going to do? What are the consequences for people who are not taking the teaching and moving that forward? And that applies to both the players and the coaches. And again, it's not a question of it's a it, like – 
I don't expect the team to be perfect. I expect the explanation after the mistake to be based in reality, not based in coach speak because we're done with coach speak, right? At this point, we need to start talking about how these things are going to get fixed or they just need to get fixed, right? So again, I mean, you know, look, six games from now, if Florida's sitting at five and two, and they've played really, really well, and none of these things have cropped up again. This will just be a blip on the radar. So I don't want to overreact, but I do want to. But this is the only data point I have, right? And I'm, I'm a big fan of wanting a bunch of data points to be able to evaluate, and I still want that here. But this is the only data point that we have to evaluate, and it's not a very good one. And again, you go back to it's not like this isn't a continuation of some of the problems that we had last year with the field goal kicking, with the punting, with the punt returns. With, I don't know why they return kickoffs from the end zone. And if they do it again, I'm going to launch something at my TV. Like, I'm yeah, okay yeah. with you catching it at yeah. the 10-yard line and returning it. Stop returning it from two yards deep in the end zone. You end up at the 18-yard line every freaking time. Stop it. So there's a bunch of things they can do that are really simple to fix things. And I hope they are, they're able to turn that around because logistically, like, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think Florida started like 78 yards from scoring in in this game specifically and utah started like 66 now obviously there's a turnover in there that make that skews those numbers a little bit but there's also the shank punt there's the missed field goals there's all sorts of stuff where florida is not good enough to have to go 80 yards to score they're just not and they're gonna have to shorten the field they're gonna have to get some some times where they start at the 45 yard line of the opposition those sorts of things are gonna have to start to start to crop up and if they don't then it's gonna be a really long year so um you know i i get I get what Napier's saying. I understand what he's saying. That's fine if it happens once or twice and you have a track record of winning. But given sort of where we sit right now with his era and what his value prop was coming into the program, that's where I think it starts to get a little bit off the rails. So like, I would have liked to have heard a more aggressive stance there. Um, I, and I'm not expecting him to pull a Brian Kelly and throw his players under the bus. Yeah, yeah, right. right. right? <laughs> like, I mean, I think, I think that was overboard too. And I think the LSU fans probably maybe – I think maybe LSU fans feel better about it, but I'm not sure that helped the culture at LSU's locker room after he threw all his players under the bus um, after the loss to, L- to FSU. At the same time, like just the we are accountable for these small mistakes. These small mistakes will stop happening. I can guarantee you that. Like just say that, and we're all good. But don't try to tell me it's a unique situation. Football's been played for a really long time. The only unique situation in that case is is that I've never seen that called before, which means everyone else can figure it out, and it's time for the the Florida staff to figure it out as well. Yeah, I mean, and part of that is you know the, the staff. Um, it happened last year, as I said. You didn't address the personnel through the transfer portal with the issues last year as well. You decided to keep the way special teams are coached as, as well. Like you said, it's just one data point for this year, but man, going back to last year and the issues paired with this, that that's where uh, I think the, the rub is uh, wrong just a little bit, but uh, maybe, maybe, you know, <laughs> I don't know how much can change during the year as far as special teams go. And, you know, cause you got to have a dedicated guy on the field for that. Uh, but on game day, it's, it, it's stretched pretty, uh, you know, in, in a multitude of ways there. 
I got to be honest, Dave, like I was expecting three or four days later for me to be more, more optimistic about things just because I've had a little bit of time to sort of, you know, sort of let the wounds heal a little bit and talking about it is only reopening them. Like I do think I felt better Friday today after the game than I did on Saturday, Sunday. And like, I don't think it has anything to do with watching other teams. I just, as you said, kind of, you know, researching it, watching the game back again, like th- are things correctable? Yes. Are they going to get fixed? I don't know. I don't know. It is, it is a true. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say they will get fixed. I have no idea. But the way to start off this year, I mean, yeah, there are correctable issues. I'm just, I don't have super confidence they get fixed, especially given this schedule. I mean, if it was, if you had a little bit easier of a schedule, you know, you could, you could work on things along the way and still win some games. You got a lot to work on and some good teams on the schedule. That's not a good combo. Well, again, I go back to six and six and good, well played football. Yeah. It's an acceptable outcome. Six and six, where your special teams is a complete freaking disaster and you don't run the ball at all while you chuck the ball around with Graham Mertz, like that's going to be an issue. Like, and it's the exact same outcome from a record perspective. But the fact that you're not seeing the path, that you're not seeing a dedication to the process, that you're seeing deviation from that. Because the process for Alabama, to me, is Nick Saban. It's not just that he says, do your job. It's that he looks at everything and says, this is what you need to do to succeed, and then doesn't deviate from that path along the way. And so if Billy Napier really doesn't believe that he needs an offensive coordinator or really doesn't believe that he needs a specific special need, special teams coach, then that's fine. But you have to start seeing the the buildup over the over the you know the short term wins have to start showing up because you don't just flip a switch and all of a sudden special teams goes from awful to good. There's going to be a buildup over time and and Again, one data point, it may be great the rest of the season and maybe everything sort of makes its way makes its way out and we feel a lot better about things when we get done. But um, again, I think just, just some transparency with the fan base after a game like this and some self-awareness of where the doubt comes from because we all look at the recruiting and go, awesome, like we see where that is going and we're willing to be patient. And I think the same thing applies for on-field. It's not the wins and losses. It's if things are improving, if things are starting to head in the right direction – if you your team looks prepared and is just overmatched, that's cool. We understand that. There's all these recruits coming to fix that problem. But if the recruits who come in aren't going to know where to line up, and if the recruits who come in are going to field punts inside the three-yard line, and if the recruits who come in are going to return kickoffs five yards deep in the end zone, and if the recruits who kick in or, or who come in are all going to have the number three on their backs, then we're going to have some problems like that, the the recruits coming in aren't going to solve the problems that we're seeing on the field. So, again, I, I think it's 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 early to be you know all the grandiose statements about you know Napier isn't the guy yeah. and that sort of stuff. Very 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 early for that, but it's a data point in the wrong direction for Billy Napier and and the staff, and he need to recognize that. Yeah, I mean, look. Yeah, we're coming off of the one game. This is the one game we only have to talk about right now. Um, so can Florida completely turn this thing around? Yep, yep. And we'll discuss it just like we are. We, we can discuss the things as they go. We don't have to dig our foot in the, you know, dig our feet in the sand and say, nope, this is where I'm at right now, and I'm not changing my mind. We, we, ha- we reserve the right to change our mind and change our feelings <laughs> as, as things happen. So, not nah, yeah. But uh, – it was it was not good. Hoping for a bounce back. Uh, there's a hopefully those lessons we're talking about being learned. They, they're learning all these lessons. 
uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go on our way. So, um, well, something I did want to bring up, um, looking at Graham Mertz, uh, 31 of 44, 70% passing, 333 yards, uh, a conservative 333 yards uh, when you look at it and how you know Utah was playing defense late and all that. But looking, going back and looking early in the game, uh, at one point he was you know seven and nine, and going through those first nine completions, it was a eight yard completion to Jackson to start the game, a one yarder to Pearsall, two straight incompletions, and then Burke for thirty seven, Johnson for seventeen on I think the first screen pass, uh, Douglas for four, Burke for twenty four, Odom for you know eighteen, and then so right there you got Jackson Pearsall. Burke, Johnson, Douglas, you know, you got six different receivers in the first seven receptions uh, there for the Gators. Started out, you know, spreading the ball around, a lot of guys getting involved. Uh, we did see, you know, a little bit of aggression in the passing game with, with Marcus Burke, good catch by him, kind of a continuation from the spring game of being, going up, making contested catches at, at the wide receiver spot, like what I saw from him early on as well. Uh, Jonathan Odom, I thought, even injured. There was no way. Look, Jonathan Odom's not the fastest guy anyway. He's probably out there playing, what, 80% will probably coming off that ACL, and he's still out there being able to make an impact in the passing game. But you know, I did think, you know, at least early on, you could kind of see, you know, a game plan of getting the ball into different guys' hands. We saw the we've we heard all offseason about getting the running backs in the passing game a bit more. I did I did think we saw glimpses of that with the with the Johnson screens and the one early that goes for a a, a, a pass there. I uh, would have liked to seen it more, uh, kind of go into it. Maybe slow down that rush there from Utah. Uh, but I did, you know, the, the seven of nine start and a lot of guys getting involved early. I mean, I I, I did like that aspect of the passing game. Yeah, I mean, I think Mertz did some decent things. I, I'm not ready to say that he was he's like a complete bust or anything like that, but I think people who are making the 333 yards to be like, oh my God, he's still in the Heisman race, I think is probably pretty ridiculous as well. From, from an efficiency standpoint, he was reasonably efficient in the first half, 8.1 yards per attempt, but in the second half, 7.3, so a lot of dinks and dunks. Ends up at 7.6 yards per attempt, which is basically right at the average four quarterbacks in the NCAA last year was 7.6 yards per attempt. So he wound up basically average when it comes to efficiency. You look at where he stands in terms of NCAA quarterbacks right now, or, or I guess for SEC quarterbacks, he's 13th out of 14th for quarterback rating, 13th out of 14th for yards per attempt, 14 out of 14 for my stat, yards above replacement, which involves rushing as well. So the sacks really kill him there. But that that's something we knew coming in from Wisconsin, right, is that he really has never run for positive yardage in the running game at all. And that that is something that is part of the Graham Mertz experience is that you get those sorts of things. So how often – so the – the only throws that I can remember that were wide open was in the in those first sort of nine was the mm-hmm. screen pass to Johnson and then the pass to Burke across the middle, right? The one to Khalil Jackson that got dropped. That was a nice throw, but there was a defender right there. The throw to Burke down the sideline, down the left sideline, that was uh, explosive. That The guy was draped all over him. Yes, I said, um, that, was, that was not the contested catch we saw in the spring game. At, at least something from the spring game kind of bled over uh, and, and we saw Burke do that, but uh, you know, to well, your but, point. Well, but, the, but so the way I tend to evaluate quarterbacks, this is why I value completion percentage so highly and why the 70% completion percentage, and this one's a little bit fool's gold um, because of the efficiency aspect of it. But um, the reason that's important to me is because typically that means you're throwing to guys who are open because if you do things right on offense, 
and your offense is designed properly and the quarterback makes the right read, then you should be throwing to a guy who's open because defenses do not have the sophistication in college football that they do in the NFL. You don't have to throw guys open in college. There's almost always a guy who's open by two or three yards. If you, if you identify the right guy, the right matchup, the one-on-one, that sort of stuff. And so there was a play in the fourth quarter. I think it was the fourth quarter where, where Herb Street was just yelling, just pleading for Mertz to throw the ball to Pearsall because he was out there with a guy like 12 yards off of him and it was a third down, maybe even a fourth down. And he, and he threw a beautiful throw down by, uh, I believe it was Burke's or no, it was Douglas, Douglas's ankles. And it was a little slant and he had to catch it and he catches it for a first down. And great, you got the first down, but that was a really tough throw. Whereas Pearsall was sitting over here on the left side of the formation wide open and it would have been an easy throw. And I think that's the thing that I, that I go back and when I look at the film and I look at sort of what's, what's going on, we can point at the wide receivers and say, were they getting the separation? But I think that's also something that we got to go back and look at Graham Mertz. And I'll be interested to know, um, you know, Certainly, Seth has his piece over there at Gators Breakdown. It's one of the things I'll probably be looking at this week is how often was there a guy who was open and we went to a different spot? And it's not necessarily that the ball wasn't complete. It's not even the ball didn't gain yards or gain a first down. It's was there a more efficient way to get that? Could you have hit a guy who had the ability to run after the catch? Those sorts of things are things that don't necessarily show up in the box score. But you know, you think about like the Colorado TCU game. Now, obviously, very different defenses there. But Shador Sanders was hitting guys, and all of a sudden they were, you know, they had five yards on their defender, and they're running downfield and they're wide open. Even the Florida State game last last night. You know, LSU had a couple of plays where they had guys who had drops where if they had caught the ball on, on those throws, they would have had a ton of room to run. Wasn't really a lot of that going on for Florida or for Mertz. And so, look, I think Mertz played pretty well. Um, I think he put up a performance pretty close to what he put up at Wisconsin when he was there. Um, I don't think there was any – the completion percentage was a lot higher, but the yards per attempt was right where you would expect based on where he was at Wisconsin last year. He was at seven and a half yards per attempt. So you know he was actually going downfield a little bit more when he was at Wisconsin last, field, last year because he was completing less passes. <laughs> so a lot of short passes where guys got taken down early. A lot of the little – you know a couple of those completions are things where Pearsall came across the formation. He does a little shovel pass. I mean, that's a completion. He's one of one at that point. But, you know – that that one is is in a short in a small sample size does raise the completion percentage. I again like I th- I think it, it comes down to what do you need Graham Mertz to be? Last year Florida needed Anthony Richardson to win them games, and when Anthony Richardson played well, Florida won. And when Anthony Richardson played bad, Florida lost. And um, I think what we're finding is, is that even if Graham Mertz plays pretty well for Graham Mertz, he's not going to be able to win him ga- win him a game, which means Florida's going to have to win the game elsewhere and be stronger in other areas of the of the team to be able to pull things through. Uh, Will, I do have that. Uh, Pearsall, 39 yards after catch. Odom, 36. Um, Johnson, 45, but those are screens, so you kind of wash those away, of course. Uh, Burke, 24 yards after the catch. Uh, Wilson, 18. 179 to 333 yards were after the catch uh, there for receivers. So that's not the explosive, not the catch and run and you know, catch a 10-yarder and the guys off to the races for 60 yards. Um, the, the one to Pearsall down the sideline. I mean, man, that was that was that was a touchdown waiting to happen. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad you got the 40 yard completion, but a, a little bit better throw along the boundary over Pearsall's shoulder, and that's a, that's a touchdown. So you know, it's just the little things in a close game like that uh, that the, that could have been the difference. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, I think if Graham Mertz would have had this type of performance in a traditional Florida run game. 
Florida probably probably Florida's in this game and uh, a tough, hard fought fourth quarter game, maybe like last year, just a bit. If the Florida run game had been there and you were getting this type of performance there with Graham Mertz would not, uh, you know, taking care of the ball for the most part, besides that one interception, um, and you know, just completing passes, not necessarily down the field, but not killing with turnovers either. But traditional Florida run game in this type of performance, if we can marry these two, they may have something on offense, but I've I've chronicled it with you know on, on GatorsBreakdown.com this week is if Florida doesn't run the ball, it's a, it doesn't matter if the quarterback throws for 300 yards. They're not winning. It's just not the M.O. of a Billy Napier offense to not run the ball and go win a game. Well, and I mean, as much as I'd like to just say he threw one interception, it was a back-breaking interception right. when Florida was down 17-3 to and needed a big-time drive. And instead, there's a miscommunication between him and Pearsall. Um, either the ball's not where Pearsall expected it to be or it came quicker than Pearsall expected it to come or whatever the case might be, whether it's on Mertz or whether it's on Pearsall, again, a very a relatively simple play that needs to be converted and needs to be a first down. Instead, it's Utah going the other way with, what, nine yards, 11 yards, whatever it was, yeah. in order to basically salt the game away. And, you know, if, if you're if you're the quarterback of a Power 5 SEC school – that turnover can't happen, or you have to be able you have to be in a situation where you're able to dig your team out of it. And I think that's to me that's the thing about Mertz is that once it was seventeen to three, I was like, oh well, this one's over. Like I don't, like I hope they come back. I'm going to watch the rest of the game. I I I wish that this was something where the offense was explosive enough to to take advantage of things, but there was nothing that. And certainly Utah, there was a um, there was a specific fourth down, the fourth and fourteen, I think, where and maybe it probably wasn't that. It must have been earlier than that, but um, but there was a fourth down play where they just sat on everything. And they were sitting at the first down markers. And there were opportunities to throw the ball over those guys. Or there were opportunities to take some shots. And just, you know, the shots didn't come. And so, um, you know, if you're not going to be aggressive with the guy back there, what's the point in having a guy with three or four years worth of experience? Like, that's the guy that you want to throw the ball downfield when everybody is starting to starting to come in. And, you know, look, fourth and 14, they throw a little swing pass out wide. That wasn't going anywhere whether they got it at all. They, they didn't really trust him enough. The other fourth down where they tried that shovel pass inside, but they tried it from kind of a bunched formation. That was sort of weird. So I, I think there's some schematic things that probably they would they would take back if they had an opportunity to. And not all of it is on Mertz, but Mertz wasn't a difference maker in this game. And I think that's sort of the the reality, right, is that yeah, you know, we've sort of been talking about that. this. Yeah, I'm glad Harrison brought it. Mertz wasn't the problem. He was no, he wasn't. He absolutely wasn't. It's just in this offense, Florida has to run the ball to win the game. He wasn't the solution either, right? Correct. I, I, Correct. Like, great. Correct. We we got it. We got a B minus from our quarterback on the road against Utah. I, am I happy about that? I mean, I, I'm happy that it wasn't an F. But if it had been an F, like the game's like my feeling about the game doesn't change at all <laughs> if, if Mertz puts up an F other than maybe we get an answer to a question that um, you know, maybe we get the answer to a question that we've all sort of been going through. I don't expect a bunch of Fs from Mertz. I expect a lot of B minuses, which means you're going to have to have a lot of people do a lot of things really well around him in order to get to where you need to go. But you and have to know, know that as a staff coming. Well, we knew that. Go. Yeah. But it does not appear that the staff knew that because the staff decided they were going to put this entire game on Graham Mertz, put it on his shoulders and say, go win us the game, big boy, because we're not giving the ball to ETN and we're not giving the ball to Montreal Johnson. So this one's on you. And based on three years of history at Wisconsin, that's a 
poor choice by by the people in charge. And I, you know, Napier afterwards, after the fact, is saying, "Yeah, we probably should have run the ball more." But you know, I mean, you got to know who you are. And if what they're saying is is that we're going to ride Graham Mertz to wins and losses this year, I think that's going to be tough. And I think that's tough for Mertz. Like, I don't think that Mertz should have every game put on his shoulders. And they tried to put it on his shoulders in this one. And you know, we got a B minus. So whoop D threw for 333 yards. He threw for a hundred and what he threw for 113 yards in the first half. And Florida was down by two touchdowns at that point. And, you know, so you got 320 yard or 220 yards after that first half, but it was all meaningless. It was all fluff because you were down so far at that point that the game was basically over. And, and again, the, the turnover came pretty early. In fact, it was their first drive, right? The first drive in the third quarter, the turnover came. And so, you know, yeah, you're down 24 to three and Utah just basically said, we want to get out of here with no more injuries, no turnovers that give us any sort of risk here. We're willing to run the ball a little bit and run the clock. The new clock rules help us out a little bit. Let's get out of here with a big time win and go. And they were able to do it. All right. Well, there we go. I know it wasn't pretty, but it's kind of kind of to be expected with the the, the 0 and one 24 11 loss to uh, Utah. But as I said, kind of using Billy Napier's press conference today as the uh, as a template. It was mostly, you know, about coaching, special teams, and and, and the offense there, Will. You know, not a whole lot about the defense. And, you know, you've already – you've written about it. I spoke about it on the, you know, last – you know, no need to repeat a lot of the things we've already said uh, in, in, in previous mediums there uh, for, uh, for, for, for that. And, you know, trying to keep this uh, at an hour or whatever. I wish I, wish I could uh, – Wish, wish it could be better, but well, the only thing that I would say is the initial seventy-yard touchdown that the defense gave up was a real gut punch. But after that, they gave up 150 total yards the rest of the game. And yes, I do think that Utah sort of tucked their tails in and just tried mm. to get out of there in the second and third quarter, or in the third and fourth quarter. But I think the defense acquitted itself reasonably well given some of the, the some, given some of the problems that they had last year. So if I'm going to build, I if, felt confident last year saying Utah's got to slow it down and we're stopping them on third down after third down after third down. <laughs> I wouldn't have felt that way last year. <laughs> well, and, and look, I mean, I, I think if Utah had scored 24 points and Florida had scored 21 and you walked out of this with a 24-21 game, they then converted some of those third and ones where they had false starts. They didn't have the delay game penalty. Um, you know, if the game was just closer and Florida looked – looked competent, then the defense is a much bigger story because I think the defense did play pretty well in spurts. I think, you know, obviously the throwback that should have been a touchdown mm-hmm. um, is is something that sort of sticks in my head as well. Are they really where they need to be? And the fact that human Milan was the guy in coverage definitely had my F-bomb flying across the <laughs> flying across the, uh, hey, the It's way, way, way back in the chat, so it probably take me forever to find it. Somebody else had mentioned human, human Milan in coverage and just how bad it looked. So. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, look I, I think it's unfair to have him on Micah Bernard it just is and and yes it took him a, a throwback pass to get it to him and and sometimes those things get missed right because it's not the quarterback making the throw um, but again if, if I'm looking for a bright spot in any of this the bright spot is I thought the defense played pretty well but again I think it, it was just alarming to me that the you know I've all offseason I've been saying Austin Armstrong gives up big plays <laughs> makes big plays and the first freaking play of the game is a 70 yard 
yard throw for a touchdown. It's like, oh boy, he he uh, proved me prophetic really early on. Um, no real big plays from the defense though. No no, no interceptions, no. no turnovers, no sacks, none of that hey, sort of stuff. Yeah. That, and, and that, so, that, that was my biggest gripe. I don't mean to harp on the negative because I know we did a whole lot this episode. Um, overall, as I mentioned, I love the third down defense. This It doesn't matter who Florida played last year. They were struggling on third down. That was much, much better. Just in will kind of maybe not so prophetic when you're in not to really take a shot at you here. It wasn't as aggressive as, aggressive as I thought it would be. Barnes had too many – maybe if you were a little more aggressive on him, he turns the ball over. And going back to one of your earlier points, you do get a good drive and in, in, in good field position. Now, could have Florida done anything with it in the red zone? Who knows? But at least you would have given him one more chance to maybe figure something out. Uh, there, all, all in all, I was, I was okay uh, with the defense. You know, Some backups for Utah, the, the busted play. As I said, I love third down. I like the improvement. They played better uh, against a – you know, I, I think a competent offense there more so than they would have last year. Uh, but some of the mo of Austin Armstrong that we expected to see, we didn't see in game one. Well, I mean, so we didn't see the stuff in terms of getting the quarterback, but what we did see on that opening play was a single high safety having to make a decision between a couple of different throws downfield. And that's why Austin Armstrong's defense gives up a lot of big plays because, you know, if that safety makes the wrong choice and if the corner isn't on him, um, you know, it, it has the propensity to turn into a big one. Now, I don't, I don't think any of us, um, the, the trade off is that you're usually able to get to the quarterback and they weren't able to do that in this one. And so that that's the thing again, Nothing in this game is without a caveat. And I think, uh, you know, the the caveat is for Napier, it's only one game. It was on the road. It was against a top 15 opponent, and his team wasn't really ready for it. We'll see how that goes the rest of the year. I think for the offense, Mertz was kind of average. Yeah, he threw for a bunch of yards, but his efficiency stats were sort of low. But the caveat is he needs his teammates to pick him up and be able to help with that sort of stuff. The special team stuff, hey, it's the first game of the year, a bunch of new guys out there. We knew they were going to rely on young guys. As long as that improves, okay, that's fine. And the defense, the caveat is, hey, they they gave up a couple of big plays, but they didn't really get anything on the – on, on sacks and those sorts of things, but they held up against the run pretty well, considering that, you know, we're coming off seasons where Florida just couldn't stop <laughs> any sort of run for, for the better part of two or three years now. And, and so I think there are opportunities here for, for growth. There are opportunities here for, for some level of optimism, but look, I mean, there's, when you go out and get your butt kicked, <laughs> It doesn't really matter who you play. When you get your butt kicked, it, it, it takes a little while to get that taste out of your mouth. And so we got McNeese this week, and hopefully that'll help us take that out of our mouth. And then uh, Tennessee in two, and you know that's going to be the one, right? I mean, you got Tennessee coming to the swamp, so on the road, no longer an excuse. You know, brand new, brand new quarterback to the system, not really an excuse because Joe Milton's there in Tennessee. The you know the um, the defense. You know, they're brand new players. I know you're three games in at this point. Um, you know, special teams, you've had a bunch of games to get things wet, you know, get everybody's feet wet and that sort of stuff. So those those excuses aren't gonna fly. And, and so we'll see. Yeah. And you're at home. So we'll and, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, you know, I mean yeah. Tennessee has to harp on the negative and uh, look if you know everybody knows if you know me personally how and, and will how big of fans we are. The last thing we want to do is is have the negative connotation of a you know of or, or negative theme uh, of an episode, but we can't sugarcoat what we saw on Thursday. Can there be reasons? Can there be excuses? Things happen. Sure, absolutely, and hopefully we don't see him again. But we can't gloss over just because. Hey, it's only year two. Hey, he needs more time. Okay, that all that might be true, but we can't gloss over what happened Thursday night. We we have to discuss it. If it was good, we'd be discussing it. 
hey, it's bad. We got to discuss it too. I hate it, but we do. <laughs> well, no one's ever accused me of being nice or being uh, <laughs> being overly optimistic. So I don't think that. Well, that's, I, know, uh, I know you well enough. I don't question your fandom. Well, you I, know. Would hope, I would hope not. I mean, yeah, God, yeah. I rewatched that game. Anybody who rewatched that thing tortured themselves. So, <laughs> um, I mean, look, I, I think one of the things you learn as you get older um, is that there's a difference between being nice and being kind. And being nice is that you tell someone what they want to hear, and being kind is that you tell them what they need to hear. And so, you know, I, I, that's one of the things that I really try to make sure that I do, and I know you do as well, right? Is that, you know, our goal here is not to say that, oh, Billy Napier is the best thing ever, and, you know, he's absolutely going to turn this around. And I mean, maybe that's true. And, and we see signs in different areas that that could be true, but I don't see a slam dunk here where Correct. anyone who has doubt about Napier at this point is wrong. Now, I think people who just like are immediately chucking him out the window and saying he needs to go, one, they're not the one signing the checks. It's a whole lot different when you're the one actually signing the checks and raising the money to do that sort of thing. But the other aspect of it is, is that, you know, you, you do have to show some amount of patience for anybody that you bring in. And the fact that Florida turns over coaches every three years for the past decade probably does have something to do with some of the instability that, that, that we have at the same time, like it, it's, it's also not fair to tell those fans that they shouldn't have any doubt. And let's be honest, even the most ardent Billy Napier supporters in the third quarter after the turnover by Mertz got converted into a touchdown, we're starting to doubt a little bit. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that doubt is there and Napier is going to have to deal with that. Florida's is going to have to deal with that. And, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. So, uh, again, I think there's a difference between being nice and telling everybody what they what they want to hear versus being kind and telling them what they need to hear. And, and hopefully that's why people come to us, right, is because we give them that, that honest opinion. And look, if they beat Tennessee in two weeks, you're not going to hear anybody who sounds like more than like two homers more than us because <laughs> they're singing the praises of everything that's going on. But and I know, will take all- and I will take all of the. I told you so. Go ahead. I, I can. I, I'll take it. I, I'll, I'll be a sponge with the. I told you so's. But up until that the- point. I got no problem, man. I, I had I had the first year for Dan Mullen. I was looking at all the recruiting stuff. I was looking at like what he'd done at Mississippi State and all this sort of stuff. And I think I picked against Florida in every big game they had for like the first six games of the year. I know I picked against Mississippi State and against Tennessee and against LSU. And and the fans were merciless when when Joe Burrow threw that pick six. It got taken back in the swamp, and you know rightly so because I was sitting there picking picking the opposition because I thought that there were signs that things weren't necessarily going to go go all that great, especially in year one. Yeah, I'm willing to take it. I'm willing to put myself out there and make that opinion. Now, the bad part is I picked Florida in this one, so now my record this year is <laughs> is, 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 as bad, is as bad as Florida's. So, uh, yeah, you, you, know. you, want, you want the defense I can tell you while Will and I will just tell it like it and tell you what we really think and all that stuff. We want to be positive because believe me, numbers, positive numbers behind the scenes – are great news for Will and I. Not, not the negative Nelly stuff. It's not. I'd rather be positive. Believe this big recruiting run Florida went on in the summer. Hey, that was great. We could see the numbers. Everybody's excited. If Florida would have won this game, the viewership for this episode you're listening to right now would be a whole lot higher. I want to be positive. We want to be positive, but we're not going to be positive for the sake of being positive. I don't care if it hurts the numbers. That's just not me. I'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm gonna dish it out there just like I really believe it. Well, look, man, our fans are smart. They're not gonna yeah. sit here. They're Correct. not gonna sit here and have us blow smoke and and be like, oh, well, Will says everything's okay, so I guess I should give more time and, and not be negative. It's like, no, like you know, the reality is, is that 
Um, you know, I have doubts right now and you have doubts right now. And I think in, in the deep cockles of his heart, Billy Napier probably has some doubts right now. And to be honest, having doubts is okay. The question is, how are you going to deal with it when you come out? And you know, that there's an opportunity for these guys to, and for the staff, for Napier, for the players to come out and shut us all up. And you know what? There are ways to do that. And one of them will be make all your field goals, field punts correctly, return kicks, right. Um, you know, no stupid penalties and go out and win some games. You do all those things and everybody shuts up, not because we um, necessarily – well, I think it's what you go back to is we all want to be proven wrong. Like I want Napier to work out. I want him to be the leader of the next empire of college football where we're all looking at it going, do you remember that time after the game at Utah? And we were all <laughs> sitting there wondering whether he was the right guy. Boy, how stupid were we to doubt this guy? Look, he's been here for 15 years and we got five national titles. How crazy. Like, I'd love if that's the result. Not because of the numbers, but because that's what I want for the school. Right? Yeah, that's what right. I want for the program. But uh, but anybody who says they don't have doubts right now, I think, is uh, is sticking their head in the sand or not necessarily being honest with themselves because I think we all do. And again, I, I think if the, the players and coaches don't have doubts, they're not human. Now the question is, what are you going to do to turn that around? And that's going to be the interesting part of the rest of the season. Napier talked about the guys in that room. You know, what do you do when you hit adversity? Well, they hit adversity really quick this year. And, and the question is going to be, what do they do with it? And we're going to get to see it. And, and that's great. I want to see these guys succeed. I hope they take this adversity and make it into something that's that's better than what we've got right now and, and better than what we've seen before at Florida. And that, that means we're talking undefeated seasons and those sorts of things. And if those are on the horizon, nobody will be happier than me. Yeah. No, nothing's funner than Gainesville and winning a whole bunch of ball games and being a fan and tying all that in together and then being able to talk to you guys about it. Uh, that's what that that's what that's what that's what Will and I want. But uh, yeah, we're not gonna hide behind a curtain. So Ah, hopefully better days on the horizon. Hopefully, hopefully so. Um, all right, Will, um, anything special? I know you and I, when we play these cupcake games, there's not, there's, there's no sense in previewing the opponent. Uh, I guess McNeese is not going to – that episode and that article are not going to do good numbers if you, just, if you want to know about McNeese. So, uh, which is – you know, by the way, I had, I had, to, I had to tweet, though, if you guys want a uh, if you want a quick little preview of what you got here, uh, McNeese gave up 52 points to Tarleton State uh, this past week. If you know where Tarleton State is, credit for you. I do not, uh, and they put 52 points up on McNeese. Uh, so there you go. That's what you have to look forward to. So, Will, are you you got this big McNeese preview ready to go? Uh, it's going to be four words, and in the uh, in the immortal words of Nick Newton, it's going to be feed two, feed seven. <laughs> That'll be the entire one. I think uh, no. So I actually do have something coming up this week. Um, I watched Swamp Kings. There were some things I thought that were really good about it. I thought there were some things they left out, and some of the things they left out, I want to write about because I think some of the players who were on that team. Um, you know, probably because of some of the people who were interviewed and some of the people who were who were involved, I think there's some guys who got left out, and so um, I think it's important to document that and say this is this is what I saw, this is what I remember, and this is this is some evidence for that sort of stuff. Um, so hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, we got the two cupcakes coming up. So uh, one one week I'm going to have one player, and in a couple of weeks I'll have another player, somebody who I thought you know it was a you little bit called, of an incomplete you, story. I know you didn't. You just called Tennessee a cupcake. 
<laughs> that, that is not the cupcake mean. I was referring I to. You, so, uh, you, you skipped a week there, but ah, ah, was trying to put it in there as a joke. It was probably it probably failed pretty hard, but I'm I'm good with it, buddy. Oh, okay. Keep calling him that. <laughs> Got Florida State at the end too. That's a cupcake as well now. Given the way it looks. Oh man! Oh man! All right, well, good stuff. Wish it was better uh, on the better side of things, but hopefully that's coming right here. Uh, on, on Gators Breakdown for you guys. Well, Will, I'll go ahead and say, uh, and then we'll discuss it after. You're out next week, right? No Gators Breakdown with Will next week, right? Correct. No Gators okay. Breakdown. I'm going to be in Las Vegas, everybody. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so, ho- so hopefully I, uh, I come back. <laughs> go get, do you get to enjoy the casinos at all? Yeah, it's, 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 uh, there will be some time. Okay. Good deal. Good deal. Sports betting, all that good stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't been too good this year on my sports <laughs> betting, so uh, I, might, I might need to control myself. All right, all right. There we go. There we go. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, pivot, and we'll we'll figure out what we're doing right here on Gators Breakdown next Monday after McNeese and ahead of Tennessee. So, all right, Will Miles, you can find the site readreaction.com on YouTube at Read and Reaction. Him and Nick Newton there do a great job. Stand up and holler. Uh, Will at Will Miles SEC on social media. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, social media at Gator Dave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Mm-hmm.